a regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms and acquire ammunition shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be talking with Chuck Michelle, head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, with Michelle and Associates as well, about the big decision from St. Benitez yesterday in California in Rody versus Bonta. Uh, Judge Benitez once again for the second time uh, declaring that California's ammunition background check law, uh, which also prohibits Californians from purchasing ammunition online or out of state and then bringing it back into California, uh, is unconstitutional, not only violating their Second Amendment rights, but violating the Dormant Commerce Clause as well. Now, I will say that uh, we talked with Chuck um, on Wednesday afternoon, just a couple of hours after that decision came down, uh, because Chuck's unavailable today. So uh, we, we weren't able to get into the appeal by uh, Rob Bond because that appeal had not yet been made. Um, and things are moving so fast that, you know, I don't know how long this decision is going to be in place before it has stayed by the Ninth Circuit. Hopefully the Ninth Circuit doesn't stay, Judge Benitez's decision, but they might very well do so. Um but for now, anyway, we, we, we haven't had Freedom Week yet. I don't even think we've had a full Freedom Day. But there are companies that are shipping to California residents. I presume that there are some gun stores in California that are selling ammunition once again without a background check. And uh, at least for a few hours, again, as of this recording, it appears that Californians are free to travel to Arizona or Nevada to purchase ammunition and then bring it back across state lines without the fear of incurring criminal consequences. So what is the future of Rody versus Bonta? Well, that's where it gets really interesting um, because there are a lot of cases that are sort of interconnected and are waiting on movement in a, uh, another challenge to another California gun law. Chuck Michelle explains it all. Take a look and a listen. Chuck, congratulations, sir, on a, another fantastic victory this time in Rody versus Bonta. Yeah, it's a good one and a happy day. Got to hang on to it like all of them, but uh, it's a great, great launching pad for uh, litigating in the Ninth Circuit and then maybe the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Yeah. And as uh, regular viewers to Cam and Company can tell by my appearance, um, I'm wearing what I wore on Wednesday's program. And that's because I'm taping this interview with you on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you're going to be unavailable on Thursday. So thank you for making yourself available today. We could talk about it. Thank but um, obviously, this is a fast moving situation in the appellate process. We know that uh, Attorney General Rob Bont is going to appeal to the Ninth Circuit. I don't know what if anything, the Ninth Circuit will have done by the time this interview airs tomorrow. So I'm not going to ask you to play Nostradamus today. Um, but I do want to talk about Judge Benitez's decision. So this was the second time that right. Judge Benitez found this law to be unconstitutional, right? Yes, there were several cases that were litigated in front of Judge Benitez before the Bruin decision came down. And we won this case in front of Judge Benitez that first time around. Uh, same with the Miller case on semi-autos and Duncan on magazine bans. And all three of those cases went up to the Ninth Circuit. And while they were pending there, uh, uh, they were all bottled up, bottled up behind Duncan. We won Duncan in front of the three-judge three panel. We lost seven to four in an en banc panel. We asked the Supreme Court to take the case. They sat on it until Bruin came down and then remanded it back, vacated the loss, remanded it back down to the en banc panel to reconsider their ruling in light of Bruin. And the en banc panel took all the cases that were pending 
in the Ninth Circuit and sent them all back down to Judge Benitez to re to reanalyze under Bruin, which is what he has been doing for the last two years. Uh, he's got the, the Miller semi-auto ban case, the Duncan case again, and the Rody case. And the Duncan case came out from Judge Benitez the second time around. The Duncan, came, the Duncan case came out from Judge Benitez about a month and a half ago, I want to say. Then the Miller case came down. And now the roadie case has finally come down. And there's one more pending there on Billy Clubs. We'll have to see what he does with that one. I mean, it, it's not just about firearms. It's about yeah. any bearable arm. In fact, for offense or defense, uh, uh, you know, body armor is covered too. Right. So, yeah. So uh, we'll see what he does there. And that should be really interesting because the states are trying to claim that the only arms that the Supreme Court has said are protected are arms that are used for self-defense. They would they would prefer that they didn't get into hunting or competitive or recreational shooting or any kind of, uh, you know, target shooting, any recreational use of a firearm or or training, training at, at, at a range. Uh, they, don't, they don't want any of that to be covered by the text of the Second Amendment. So they're playing these games just like they did after Heller, trying to distort the Supreme Court's instructions so that they that some of these judges who have, are pre-inclined pre to try and uphold laws uh, will be able to because they'll twist that test. So hopefully the Supreme Court will straighten it out. In the meantime, all of that methodology question is bottled up behind Duncan again, and they just stayed the, the Miller assault weapon case, quote unquote, uh, until Duncan gets decided because Duncan's in front of an en banc panel again. Okay. So it's all bottled up, all bottled up in the Ninth Circuit again, and this one is going to join that line yeah, but but Duncan, you say, is uh, before an en banc panel uh, yes, at the ninth? The same en banc panel that they had the first time around where we lost seven to four. Now that means we got to change two minds. Yeah. And did Bruin change two minds? And it sure should. I don't know that all seven of them are such ideologues that they're not going to listen to what the Supreme Court says. But we're getting we're gearing up to argue that case in front of the Ninth Circuit on bonk we're gearing up to we'll now have to get ready to argue this case where the, the miller case was just argued uh we argued the bolin case on the california roster there's a number of other cases pending up there all of which are the doj the state of california are going scorched earth on uh the also the sb2 the uh the uh sensitive places law that would have uh prohibited ccw holders from carrying in places where they had been allowed to carry for 100 years uh and so we struck that one down. So we've got right. a, we've got a lot of winds. Uh, we've got a lot of you know winds coming on our belt. Yeah, but we need to hold on to them all. And uh, ultimately, I suspect the Supreme Court's going to have to reiterate once again that we meant what we said in Bruin, and you guys are ignoring it. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and or reiterate what they said in Heller, uh, where you know they said that the central component of the Second Amendment may be uh, self defense, but. The central component would indicate that there are other components of the right to keep and bear arms that well, they, they said are not related. That. They said they said all lawful lawful purposes, purposes right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. self defense is just one lawful purpose. Yeah, yeah. You so again, I mean, you talk about the misreading of uh, what the Supreme Court has said here, the intentional misreading, I think, um, and we're certainly seeing that around the country. But let's talk about somebody who actually does. Uh, adhere to the Constitution uh, and who did follow the Bruin test, uh, St. Benitez um, in Rhodey. I, I, you know, so I, I want to 
there were a couple of arguments here, right, that not only did this California statute uh, violate the Second Amendment, but because California residents were prohibited from driving into Arizona or Nevada or any other state, right. purchasing ammunition and then bringing it back to California, that that was a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. Yes. And Judge Benitez agreed Indeed, this is not just a violation of the Second Amendment rights of California gun owners, but it implicates other rights as well. Yes, because it does. I mean, we don't just file Second Amendment. You know, I remember before Heller, we had nothing but other claims, you know, due process, <laughs> right? commerce clause. And finally, Heller gave us the Second Amendment argument uh, uh, firmly established, I thought firmly established. But uh, yeah, those all those other things... Uh, all those other legal arguments, constitutional infirmities that these laws suffer, we, we argue them in every case. So one of the things that um, I'm just going to quote a little bit of the decision here. Um, uh, Judge Benita said the attorney general did not identify a single historical law that required a citizen to pass a background check in order to purchase ammunition because those laws don't exist. Right. They're just not on the books. No. Um, but he also said that the analogs that Bonta offered uh, failed to pass muster. He, he said, um, what are the 50 historical laws dating from 1789 to 1868 that the attorney general has compiled as a potential historic uh, as potential historical analogs? One would expect to find laws or ordinances that required a gunsmith to check with a local sheriff before selling a firearm. Or one might expect to find laws that restricted gunsmiths from selling to any customer who was a stranger in his community. Or maybe there'd be historical laws uncovering uh, uncovered that require a customer's proof of citizenship before a merchant was allowed to sell them gunpowder. Those could be apt analogs to demonstrate a related historical tradition of constitutional regulation. Nothing like that appears in the state's compilation of laws. The state's compilation lists 48 laws which made it a crime to possess a gun and ammunition by Negroes, mulattoes, slaves, or persons of color, and two laws that prohibited sales to Indians. For example, he writes, the attorney general listed a 1798 Kentucky law which prohibited any, quote, Negro, mulatto, or Indian from possessing any gun or ammunition. An 1846 North Carolina law offers another example wherein it was prohibited to sell or deliver firearms to, quote, any slave. Judge Benitez then said this is the third time that the attorney general has cited these laws in support for its laws and restrictions implicating the Second Amendment. These 50 laws identified by the attorney general constitute a long, embarrassing, disgusting, insidious, reprehensible list of examples of government tyranny towards our own people. And those are the laws that, again, the attorney general is citing in defense of California's laws. I hope that yeah. I hope that line left a sting with Rob Bonta. I, I hope so, too. I think uh, Gavin Newsom, we should he needs to have that tattooed on his forehead because <laughs> this is what they don't get. I mean, they are marching down the road to tyranny by disarming people. That's what it's always been all about for Newsom and the anti-gun owner bureaucrats in Sacramento. It's murdering the gun culture. It's culture side. They want to do everything they can so that people cannot exercise their right to choose to own a gun for sport or self-defense or to defend their family. They want to make it take too long, too much red tape, cost too much money. I mean, and that's that's playing out with the concealed carry permits that, uh, you know, we're suing the L.A. County Sheriff right now because it's taking them a year to process applications. And Laverne and San Jose are charging a hundred uh, charging a thousand dollars to go through the application process, which only gets you a CCW for two years. So people can't afford that. Right. Oh, by the way, congratulations on uh, Crossroads of the West Gun Show. 
uh, hosting a gun show at the Orange County Fairgrounds. That you know, we talked oh, yeah. about earlier victories. That's another victory. And again, yeah. an attempt by the state to kill off lawful gun ownership and a culture of lawful gun ownership in the state. Right. They don't want people to get together and be able to talk about how much fun they have at the range or how the government doesn't know what it's doing or what guns do really do do and don't do that the politicians distort. I mean, they, they, the, anything that allows that kind of, and, and the gun show case was a first amendment case really more than a second amendment case mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, they want to close public forums. Never mind, They build these fairgrounds as public property and then they won't let anybody else build any kind of a competing fairground. That's the only venue that's available for these for a larger event. Yeah. And then they want to exclude the events that send a message they don't like. I mean, that's what the First Amendment is all about. The government does not get to have this viewpoint discriminatory approach where they don't like what you're saying, so they stop you from being able to say it in a public forum where anybody else can go say it. So, yeah, we're it's kind of... Well, you know, I say this to you, and I know it's not amazing to you, how screwed up, how tyrannically inclined uh, some of the uh, the progressive, quote unquote, governments are. And and they just think that the ends justify the means. Yeah. And the, and, ends and, for them, the ends for them is a big government nanny state where they tell you what to do and you depend on them for your own personal safety. Right. Uh, right. Absolutely. Which, by the way, I don't consider to be a progressive viewpoint at all. I consider it to be a very regressive uh, viewpoint. Um, and, 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 you know, and in a way, it is amazing. Even to me, I've been covering this issue for 20 years now. The recalcitrance that we see on the part of the anti-gunners, the refusal to acknowledge not only the plain text of the Second Amendment, but again, the Heller decision, the Catano decision, McDonald, Bruin. Um, you know, again, I'm talking to you from Virginia, where, uh, you know, Senator Harry Byrd in the 1950s launched massive resistance after Brown versus Board of Education came down, encouraged public schools to shut down rather than integrate. So, I yeah, mean, I, right. you know, and, and that's exactly what this reminds me of. And I know there's going to be offensive to people like Gavin Newsom. Well, you know, tough noogies, Governor. Uh, this is a this is reminiscent of the massive resistance to civil rights um, that we saw in the South in the 1950s and 1960s. It is a refusal to acknowledge a basic fundamental civil right to impede that right as much as possible. In this case, you know, it's not, look, in Virginia, it was uh, telling an entire class of citizens, you don't have access to any of your rights. Um, This is California telling everybody, you don't have access to this particular right. But it is still just as egregious and fundamental a violation of civil rights as we saw in Virginia in the 1950s and 60s. Absolutely. I mean, I keep going back to those parallels, not to say that, you know, this and the Second Amendment rights and 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 uh, civil rights of African-Americans or other minorities are on the same exact par. But the response, the the the, the thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court is the same. Yeah, it is. Um, and again, I, you know, history has not looked kindly uh, on uh, Senator Harry Byrd, you know, and we I mean, at some point you even saw, you know, George Wallace renounce his uh, segregationist ways. Maybe that was for political expediency. Maybe that was a true change of heart. But, uh, you know, it gives me a little bit of hope that maybe one day Gavin Newsom will uh, admit the error of his ways and acknowledge that, OK, Yes, I was wrong. I'm not holding my breath that that's going to happen. Certainly not anytime no. soon, but I'd love to see he, it. He's he's not going to see the light. He's just going to feel the heat. 
And that's that's what we have to keep bringing. Absolutely. Um, all right. So next steps, we know this is going to the Ninth Circuit. As you say, everything's sort of bottled up behind Duncan. Do we have a date for oral arguments for Duncan in the Ninth yet? Uh, I think it's May. I'm not okay. positive. But so there, it, is, it has been scheduled. Yes. Okay. So, you know, do, do you get the sense, Chuck, that is the Ninth Circuit, because, you know, for a long time, I, I felt like I felt like the decision to kick all of these cases back down to the trial court was a, an attempt to delay yep. uh, their return to the Supreme Court. Um, yep. Is the is the Ninth Circuit acting with due diligence now or are they do you think they're still playing these sorts of games to drag out the appeals process? Well, that that. Kind of remains to be seen. If it goes as scheduled, it's a little long, but it's not egregiously long. Okay. Delay. You know, remanding it all the way back down to make it take three years to get back up to them. Yeah, that was a delay strategy. But uh, if they actually have the oral argument and issue a decision within a couple of months, that's that's acceptable. But what might happen, though, is remember we had this dissent by Judge Van Dyke about whether or not it should be sent back down again. And then mm-hmm. whether or not it should be accepted right straight to the en banc court rather than going through a three-judge panel first, where he called out some shenanigans by the Ninth Circuit en banc panel saying you shouldn't be, this should not be the en banc, the composition of the en banc panel that hears this case. Because uh, these judges, senior judges are retired and senior judges aren't eligible to serve on an en banc panel. So you should redraw the panel. So one of the things that the Ninth Circuit then threw back at, at us and said, argue, uh, lit- uh, brief whether or not this panel is properly constituted. Now, if they want to delay it, they can say, oh, you know what? We're, we're not. So we're going to draw a new panel and you can brief it again and we'll argue it again in six months. If they do that, we're probably going to ask the Supreme Court to intervene and, and, and take it away from them because uh, that's just a bridge too far in terms of you know, trying to sabotage uh, a decision because they're hoping they're hoping that, you know, Judge Thomas gets hit by a bus. You know, right. Biden gets elected and some of these judges have to retire and uh, Biden gets to put new ones on the Supreme Court and stack the, the deck against us. And that that's why elections matter. And everybody better get out there and vote for, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Trump's personality, but his administrative policies were were pretty much spot on. So uh, as opposed to Biden's, you know, so. Yeah. And that may end up being a deciding factor for a lot of voters, um, you know, when it all comes down to it. I mean, there's a significant chunk of Americans who I think would prefer two completely different candidates uh, from both major parties. But, uh, you know, I, I suspect that's what we're going to get. And that is going to have to be the choice that uh, the voters make. Yeah, you know, because again, the Supreme Court has already accepted Duncan, right? So it's not like the Supreme Court, they've, as you said, they granted, uh, vacated, and remanded. They, 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 they did a GV, it's called a GVR. They granted review. Yeah. But they didn't take it, they didn't take it all the way. They just simply vacated the Ninth Circuit's en banc decision. But does, I mean, does that guarantee that they will hear this case? Or if it gets no, back into the Supreme, it does not, not? not? Not necessarily, but they probably, but the odds are good. But just the fact that they GVR'd it, uh-huh. raises its profile with them, but does not mean they take it again. Okay. So it's not a so guarantee. They granted review. Mm-hmm. They vacated the decision without having any further proceedings in the Supreme Court. Then they remanded it back down to the Ninth Circuit. And then the Ninth Circuit on bunk panel remanded it back down to Judge Benitez. So we had gotcha. to work our way back up again. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, at least we haven't seen any uh, Ninth Circuit games like we've seen in the Fourth Circuit, where, uh, you know, the Bianchi case was held by that three-judge panel for over a year. It seems like they were getting ready to release it, and all of a sudden the Fourth Circuit says, hey, you know what, actually, time out. We don't need to see that uh, that, that decision. We're going to go ahead and take this case on Bonk preemptively. Straight on Bonk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's some pretty... Hinky that's stuff, right? That's shenanigans. Yeah. So, how, I mean, how do you feel right now, Chuck? Obviously, with the, you're excited about this case, but generally speaking, I mean, do, do you feel optimistic? Do you feel confident? Um, let, 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 let's say, and again, well, as you say, a lot of this depends on what happens in November, right? Yes. Yes. Look, I mean, I would say the odds are, are in our favor, you know, from uh, uh, Hunger Games. The odds are in our favor. But uh, it's not a battle that we can't lose. We, we could lose depending on whether or not the Supreme Court gets spooked or stuffed with uh, 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 hostile judges. I mean, that, that's the kind of the saddest part of this. You know, you go to law school and you think, well, if I reason things out and make the better argument and connect all the dots, I, I have to win. Well, no. You know, the, the courts can, can really distort the facts and distort the law to come up with a, a result that they're looking for. Yeah. Even if it's dead wrong. Oh, yeah. So, uh, we, we, you know, we've we, seen that so many times since Bruin. AR-15s aren't protected by the Second Amendment. Uh, oh, you can't challenge this carry ban because there's no evidence that the state's ever going to enforce it, even though the state says it's going to enforce it. I mean, like, yeah, there have been some crazy decisions. Uh, yeah, there have been a lot of good decisions, too. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. But we it have... depends whether they faithfully apply Bruin or not. If yeah. they twist it, we can lose. If they apply it like the Supreme Court intended it to be applied, we win. Unless yeah. there's some, it's not every law that's going to be struck down. There are some historical laws. It wasn't just a free-for-all back in 1791. There were some restrictions on carrying certain weapons. You know, like you couldn't go around terrorizing the countryside. Right. But it was always pretty much individualized against behavior, not the individual gun and not a class of people. So, you know, the, the gun control laws back then were much more practical because they went after the bad guy. You know? Right. Not the Absolutely. Bad gun or the bad place or the, you know, so it's some of these laws, you know, you can't murder anybody. You can't shoot somebody. Those laws are going to stay up. They're going to, you know, they're going to remain in place, but laws that don't accomplish anything that the state cannot prove really do any good. And they almost never can. Those are all subject to, to uh, being struck down. And, and the weird thing is, you know, because the, California, state of California got away for the, with this for 20 years now, just piling on, piling on, piling on over those 20 years. And they weren't struck down. Now they think that those were all givens. They were, un, they were constitutional. Well, we've been, telling, we've been telling the politicians they were unconstitutional the entire time. That's right. It just took us a while to get a court to confirm what we were saying. Hey, you know, you talked, uh, you said earlier that uh, Gavin Newsom should have that uh, quote from Benitez tattooed on his forehead. I think since that's not going to happen, I think maybe as a uh, as a backup, California Rifle and Pistol Association should sell T-shirts with Rob Bonta and Gavin Newsom's face on it. And then that quote by Judge Benitez underneath these 50 laws identified by the attorney general constitute a long, embarrassing, disgusting, insidious, reprehensible list of examples of government tyranny towards our own people. We at, least need, we at least need to get a meme out there about that. Right? I'm thinking you might be able to sell enough T-shirts to fund another lawsuit, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, I'd, I'd buy one of those things. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea.
Hey, Jack, listen, man, thank you so much for uh, carving out a few minutes of your day. I know that uh, this is an incredibly busy time for you. I'm looking forward to chatting again. Give my best to uh, Sean Brady as well, the uh, lead attorney working in this case for Michelle and Associates. Uh, yeah, you've got I'm a fantastic Sean and the whole team. You've got a fantastic team. I, I, I love talking with you, but I got to tell you, I've had the opportunity now to talk with uh, Tiffany Chevron, with uh, Costas Moros, with, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on her name. G- Barbier, uh, yeah, and Barbier, yeah. So I think is Sean the only attorney that I've yet to speak with. Maybe I'll have to get him on for you. I think so. I think probably so. to talk about Illinois. There's some hot things going on there that he's that he's taking the lead on. All right. Well, the next time we speak with one of the Michelle and Associate attorneys, uh, perhaps it'll be Sean Brady talking about Illinois. But in the meantime, make sure that you are following what's going on in California. CRPA.org is the website. Second yeah. Law Center, uh, again, for not well, cases beyond the state of California, 2ALC.org. Is that correct? Correct. And and we really do need we need people to join our team. Come on. It's a winning team, fellas, boys and girls. Jump on board. <laughs> Okay. If, you don't want to, if you're afraid of getting on a list, sign up your dog. Okay. We got plenty of FIDO <laughs> members of CRPA. It's not a problem. There you go. And who is, maybe you'll give it a t-shirt out of the deal too. Uh, Chuck, Michelle. Remember, all our lists are complete. Nobody's ever gotten our list. So <laughs> good to safe. know. Good to know. All right. Chuck, Michelle. Thanks, thanks so much, man. man. We'll talk to you soon. Love you, brother. Thank you once again to Chuck for joining us on the program. Looking forward to having him back as well as Sean Brady. We got to, Finish off our interviews with the uh, Michelle Associates, or I guess the Associates from Michelle and Associates, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do that in the very near future. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, which, again, doesn't necessarily feature somebody who has been uh, previously known to law enforcement, but it is one of those what-the-heck-are-they-thinking decisions. All right, so here's the headline from the Chicago Tribune, actually the Post Tribune newspaper, Shareville Man gets five years probation in hatchet attack. And it was an attack. Um, I, I mean, I was, I, I saw the headline. I thought, okay, well, maybe like he brandished the hatchet. No, no. Oh, no, no, no. 30-year-old Jason Callback was originally charged with multiple felonies, including attempted murder, aggravated battery, criminal confinement, four counts of battery by means of a deadly weapon, and battery resulting in serious bodily injury. Now, that laundry list of felonies was tossed out, and Callback was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement, which is a level three felony in the state of Illinois. According to police, Callback's father called 911 back on February 24th of 2021. So again, this case has been dragging on now for almost three years. Um, Anyway, Callback's dad called 911. After the victim in this hatchet attack escaped from a bedroom in the callback home and callback's dad saw the extent of his injuries during the 911 call callback's dad reported that his adult son had bludgeoned his friend inside the residence. There was blood quote all over the victim, a 26 year old Cherville man told police that he'd been living with callback for about five months and had been told by callback. He wasn't allowed to leave the home. Uh, the um, Cook County or the uh, Cherville deputy police chief, uh, Jeffrey Cook, said that the victim further reported that Callback had blamed him for all the problems in his life and became physically abusive to him over the last 48 hours. When officers and detectives responded to the home and they met the victim, they described two black eyes, said he was bleeding profusely from his left arm. The victim showed officers several other places on his body that were bleeding, said he believed that both of his hands had been broken. 
The deputy police chief said investigators determined that over the last 48 hours, Callback had handcuffed the victim, locked him in a bedroom where he tortured him using several different deadly weapons. Victim alleged that Callback had struck him several times with a hatchet, had used a taser, had used a uh, police baton, as well as brass knuckles to beat and torture him. And again, Callback was arrested, charged with numerous felonies. And here we are, almost three years later, after that attack was reported to police. Callback pleads guilty to one count of criminal confinement. He actually pled guilty back in December, but the sentence was handed down on Wednesday again. Five years probation. Oh, and prosecutors said, well, you got to enroll in anger management classes. Oh, yeah, and we might make you complete a substance abuse program. You know, (laughs) Governor J.B. Pritzker and Illinois lawmakers, Democratic Illinois lawmakers anyway, want to put gun owners in prison if they violate any of these states' gun control laws, right? There are criminal penalties attached if you do not register your so-called assault weapon with the Illinois State Police. But you beat, bludgeon, and torture someone over a span of two days, and you get a slap on the wrist. Not even with brass knuckles. Just a polite little tap and be on your way. I mean, this is absolutely insane. Cannot say that justice was done here. But Illinois is so topsy-turvy right now, criminalizing the exercise of a fundamental constitutional right and letting violent offenders off with no consequences whatsoever. Today's Armed Citizen story, this is a crazy one as well, from Louisiana, Ponchachula, Louisiana, where residents shot out tires to help capture a burglary suspect. Another armed citizen held a burglar at bay until uh, police arrived on the scene and was able to take him into custody. Happened uh, over the weekend, last Saturday. There was apparently a three-person burglary ring um, that had been accused of burglarizing homes and vehicles and then trying to sell what they had taken out of the back of a U-Haul truck. Uh, two suspects, 27-year-old Zachary LaFleur, 37-year-old Amber Skelton from Ponchachula, have been arrested. Authorities say that a third suspect, 29-year-old uh, Branson Monsiter of Ponchachula, is still at large, at least as of this report, and is wanted on several counts of burglary and possession of stolen things. According to uh, Sheriff Daniel, De- uh, Daniel Edwards, no relation, by the way, uh, deputies called out on Saturday to the Creekside subdivision in Ponchachula, where homeowners had chased and cornered LaFleur. After a homeowner came upon him burglarizing his residence, he then yelled out for help from, you know, hey, neighbors, this guy's you know stealing my stuff. The sheriff's office had a second homeowner, whose home had also just apparently been burglarized uh, a couple minutes earlier, came over to his neighbor's aid. LaFleur managed to escape the pair and get into a truck, but that's when one of the homeowners discharged a firearm into the tires of LaFleur's vehicle, according to the sheriff, rendering it disabled. So LaFleur couldn't get away behind the wheel. Instead, he tried to escape on foot. A couple minutes later, another neighbor heard his home security alarm going off. After being told by neighbors that there was a burglary suspect in the loose, the homeowner uh, walked around his property and found LaFleur inside a truck that he owned. That's when LaFleur was held at gunpoint by the homeowner until deputies arrived. Deputies say they later determined that the alarm the man heard was triggered when LaFleur attempted to break into a nearby house to hide out. Uh, So LaFleur is then in custody. The investigation still continues. Deputies were told of a U-Haul truck 
had been seen in the Creekside subdivision, which was now parked outside of a uh, discount tobacco shop in Ponchachula. And there were two people who were allegedly selling stuff out of the back of the truck. So police went to the scene. Uh, the suspect identified as Monastery fled just before deputies arrived, but uh, Skelton uh, apparently was apprehended at the scene. LaFleur has been booked on two counts of residential burglary, two counts of vehicle burglary, one kind of attempted burglary, one kind of similar criminal damage to property, as well as one kind of illegal possession of stolen things. Uh, Skelton, meanwhile, booked with three counts of residential burglary, one kind of vehicle uh, vehicle burglary, and one count of illegal possession of stolen things. Monastery, one of four, three counts of residential burglary, one count of vehicle burglary, one count of illegal possession of stolen things, as well as one count of failure to appear in court. So apparently this is not his first run-in with the law. And again, the uh, two of the three suspects apprehended will now face charges. We'll see again what type of plea deal is offered to them in the future, but uh, at least taken into custody thanks to the fact that there were armed homeowners there who were able to prevent their escape and held them again until officers arrived on the scene. Finally, today's good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A couple of police officers in the Miami, Florida, uh, Florida area who have helped a woman get back on her feet after a series of unfortunate incidents ended up with her living in her van. Um, it happened the day after Christmas. I guess it started the day after Christmas. There's a woman named Maria Isabel Garcia. She said, I had a problem with my car and my battery. And so she was just kind of stuck, right? A uh, police officer, Leonard Cantave, happened upon Garcia. He said, you know, it's the holidays. She's alone. There's no gas for her car. It's pretty sad, and I'm blessed enough to help her out. So he thought, I'll get you, you know, some gas for your car, and you can be on your way. But then they started talking. He said, she was pretty much homeless. So I took her to the gas station. I filled up her tank for her. I went to the mechanic shop, and I spoke to the owner, and they gave her a brand new battery for her car. Garcia said, he asked me what had happened. What happened to you? You live here. Why? And I explained to him I don't have a job at this moment. It's back during the pandemic when things started to go south. She lost her job as a security guard, and then her license expired. She didn't have a job, so she didn't have the money to renew her security guard license. And then she just kind of, things just fell apart. She was stuck, and has been since then, living out of her van. Garcia said, I don't have anybody. I don't have family. I don't have friends. I don't have a husband. I don't have anybody. She said, I've cried so many times inside this car alone, but nobody saw me. So Leonard Cantavi wanted to help. He reached out to his friend, uh, Nicole Sears, who's a, a dispatcher in the Miami-Dade Police Department. And the two of them, within a month, because again, this was the day after Christmas, raised enough money to renew Garcia's car insurance and her registration to renew her security guard license so she could find gainful employment again and gave her some gas money. As CBS in Miami reports, those little steps were enough to get Garcia back out there and on the job. She's working again as a security security guard. She's applying for housing. And uh, the officers and the officer and the dispatcher say that uh, this is the beginning, not the end of the story. Leonard Cantavi says, I just started it and I want to finish it. Make sure she gets a house, hopefully gets a better car. And then once that's done, I think my job is done. Then on to the next project. Maria 
Garcia told Kantari, I love you. She said, I love him so much because he's a good person. He's a good guy. He's an angel. He's my angel. And there really is, it sounds like, going to be another project in the future. Um, CBS in Miami reports that uh, Sears and Cantave have actually started a nonprofit to uh, help others uh, in situations that are similar to uh, Maria Garcia's predicament. Uh, it's called Blue Hearts of South Florida. Looking forward to hearing more about it. But, you know, again, this was just a random encounter, right? And Leonard Cantave, I mean, listen, he could have done a nice thing for Garcia. He could have filled up her gas tank. He could have, you know, reached out to that uh, auto supply company and said, hey, you know, we got this lady. Can you give me a discount on a new battery? That alone, I think, would have been worthy of a, a good deed of the day, right? But they went so much further to help this woman get back on her feet. And again, just a few small things making a life-changing difference for Isabel Garcia. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing for someone in need. Leonard Cantave, Nicole Sears, we thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. I'm looking forward to being back with you again very soon. In fact, we might have a special Friday edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, so stay tuned for that. But also, be sure to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. We're keeping you up to date on all the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. We've got the legislation, we've got litigation, we've got armed citizen stories, and more. Again, you can find it all at BarionArms.com. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. Just go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your membership. We're going to say thanks by giving you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Because your support really does make a difference. And it truly does matter. Thank you again. And enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll see you back here before too long. Until then, be well. Be safe. And be free.